0: This is Weekly Signals Interviews, broadcasting every Tuesday morning, 8 to 9, Pacific Time, on KUCI 88.9
1: FM, Irvine, California, on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Caspar. In his latest book, The Next 25 Years, The New Supreme Court and What It Means for Americans, our guest today, Martin Garbus, looks at where we're headed now that the Supreme Court has left behind its long history of a balanced four or five voting pattern. Garbus argues that the bench, that the coming bench may imperil our way of life and endanger the liberties we have always viewed as inalienable inalienable rights. Time Magazine has named Martin Garbus as one of the best trial lawyers in the country. Martin Garbus, welcome to Weekly Signals.
0: Thank you. Thank you. It's a privilege.
1: Well, thank you for joining us. Um, On Election Day, no less. On Election Day. On Election Day, no less. How how does that uh, factor into things on the
0: Supreme Court right now? Do you have any feeling about that? Well, I think that uh, the next two people that are most likely to step down are two liberals. So that even if Obama were elected, and let's look at, let's say, four years or eight years, it's not clear that he could cut into the majority, the present majority that exists for conservatives. Um, uh, uh, you know, Clinton had uh, two appointments over eight years, and seven of the nine judges now are Republican appointees. I think, though, it goes beyond the Supreme Court, it also goes to the appellate courts and the trial courts in the federal system. In the trial courts and the appellate courts, two thirds of the judges are Republican appointees a very, very large proportion of them uh, within the last eight years. Now, as the Supreme Court takes fewer and fewer cases, uh, it, 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 uh, they're going to not make that much new law. The new law they're going to make is to be bad law. But in a way, the law is locked because of the lower trial court judges in the federal system and the appeals court judges. You have 13 appeals courts in the country, 12 of them now, are Republican conservative courts uh, the uh, the only one that is not is is the New York district Court, the Second Circuit that covers new york and and related areas so it's both at the trial level, the circuit level, and the United States Supreme Court uh, that uh, there's really a, is a lock and uh, if Obama' were in there for four years, there's nothing that he's going to be able to do about it. Now no, one, you know, it would be it would be amazing if it, no no one has gotten, you know he's not going to get three appointments.
1: Yeah, we're talking about uh, I assume Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Brennan. Are those the two who are most likely? No,
0: to... the two most likely to step down are Stevens, who's eighty six. Oh, that's right, Stevens and, and, and Ginsburg. Yeah. And yes, I'm sorry, and Ginsburg. Yeah, they're the two most likely to step down. They're the two oldest, and um, and Ginsburg has been sick.
1: Right, and, it's and in... then
0: and then Souter has also been talking about his dissatisfaction with the court, and uh, when they had Bush against Gore, he was talking then about stepping down, and he seems to be on a short fuse. Now he could step down. I mean, he's considered basically on the liberal side. Um, I would, but uh, so if he would have stepped down, if those three would have stepped down, uh, then. Mm-hmm. And if Obama had three appointments over four years or eight years, whatever it was, you still would have the uh, Republican majority that you have, the conservative majority that you have now.
1: You're really just holding serve at that point. You're holding on to what you have. Um, And the Republicans have been very smart uh, in the appointment of uh, of Roberts and Alito, Alito in that they're both very young. They're in their 50s, I believe.
0: Right. And the Republicans have been very smart. They've been thinking about the court system a great deal since 1980, since Reagan came in and Ed Meese came in and the Federalist Society started. And they, and they all then really took aim at the court because that's where a lot of the very conservative issues uh, are litigated, are, are, are most strongly felt, whether it's abortion. Years ago it used to be obscenity. Uh, at this point in time it's national security and, and, the, and the power of the president. So uh, since 1980, the conservatives have been much more focused on the courts and much more effective with respect to the courts than either the moderates or the liberals. It used to, It, it is now nearly a prerequisite to get a Republican appointment that you be a member of or sympathetic to the Federalist Society, a very conservative group that was formed uh, shortly before 1980, but under Mies and then Robert Bork kind of reached its flowering. So the liberals or the moderates can be criticized for not having sufficiently done the groundwork uh, in the way that the Republicans and the conservatives have.
1: You've opened up a whole bunch of of, uh, uh, avenues here that I want to explore, but one is the Federalist Society – can it be? How would you characterize it? Is it a strict reading? A strict constitutionalist? Is that a fair way to describe the organization, or is it just an, a bunch of uh, conservative I, I ideologues? I think these
0: terms like strict constitutionalist uh, can be somewhat misleading. Yeah, uh, I think that's what they would call themselves. Right. They they would say going on to the original reading of the Constitution that that the Constitution is as it was back in. Um, Uh, you know, when when the Constitution was written. And you have to look to that Constitution as it was written for all kinds of uh, advice and interpretation and and history uh, as compared to what Justice William Brennan would call the living Constitution, one that changes as life goes on. So I think that, uh, you know, you, you could use those terms, strict constitutionalist. You could use the terms originalist. I think though, that what those terms do is really misidentify the problem. Mm-hmm. the 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 conservatives find the answers they want through that kind of interpretation. the uh, and the the uh, let's say, the liberals will find the interpretation they want through the living constitution idea. but basically, both of the parties, as they approach the constitution, know what result they want to get. And they're just going to use a vehicle. And if you look at case by case, you know, for example, the, the Republican courts are allegedly not the activist courts, which is of course not true. The Rehnquist Court was the most activist court in American history. If by that, you, you, if the definition of an activist court is one that strikes down federal legislation, mm-hmm. so so they, they the conservatives try and use the language of being non activists, being non-legislative being strict constitutionalists, but all that does is get you back uh, you know all, all that really is is first arriving at an answer and then using some kind of constitutional legal theory to cloak the
1: answer, sort of a narrowly skewed look at the Constitution in a way that justifies the underpinnings of your
0: argument. I think so. I uh, think
1: so. I, there's, there's something about, and there's something even more de- deceptive uh, about the uh, appointments of Robertson, and Alito to the court, and that is that they were both the president's lawyers at one right. point. Right. And we have seen in this court a uh, propensity to allow executive power to essentially go unchecked.
0: Yes, and I think that w- this, what this president has done um, is allowed uh, the, the whole theme of unitary powers to take over the concept of what a presidency should be. I think Cheney started to develop this theory back uh, when he was a government official decades ago. He was chief so.
1: of staff for uh, Gerald Ford. Yes,
0: and, that's he- and they started to develop theories as to presidential powers. And the theory was that the president had enormous powers. He had the powers to declare war. He had the powers to order what has been done during the war against Iraq, Guantanamo. He has the he has the right to, to deny habeas corpus. He has also there are these things called signing statements, right. which are being used for the first time. In the way other other presidents have used signing statements, they've done it sparingly, and they have not. thought of signing statements as anything which had any great legal effect. But under this administration, they take the position that signing statements have legal effect, and so that the president can give a legal interpretation of a statute, which if a court is going to look at a statute, it has to look at, let's say, Bush's interpretation or the interpretation of his attorney general.
1: Well don't the courts they in the past the courts have done this where they've when they're looking at a piece of legislation they will look at notes from uh from the deliberation on on a law uh how it came about and it for some guidance in making a decision about uh, about ruling on it and as such they, this this <laughs> one thing about this administration that is that strikes me is that they have looked for every possible way to game the system and these signing, signing statements, which I as I believe this uh, president has done more than all the other presidents combined, uh, but it's been a way to game the system, allow, allowing him to say, I, I respect this part of the law. I don't, I don't have to abide by that part of the law. And they've really just gained the system on this, haven't they? Uh,
0: I agree with you. Let me make a distinction between notes to gain. In other words, when Congress passes a law— Mm -hmm. There are hearings. There are congressional notes. There are memos. And then at a subsequent time, they pass a law. And it's always been legitimate to look at what preceded the law. It's always been legitimate to look at what Congress meant when they gave a certain interpretation to the law. Uh, when you give a certain interpretation to the law, because after all, these are the people who created it, and you want to know what's on their mind, whether that's Congress today or that's the original founding father. So yes, you always go back. But signing statements are something different. Signing statements, of course, are signed afterwards, and it's the executive's view of a law that has been passed already, which Congress has decided. And the what the president then will do will either say that oh, I think the law is unconstitutional or I think the law is and those are things that are not within his jurisdiction.
1: All right.
0: So, mm-hmm.
1: Well, so is there any any hope? <clears throat> okay, uh, is there any hope that uh, at some point the Supreme Court will take this up as the constitutionality of this uh, abuse of this of this? Um... I don't
0: think so. I think that I think that probably uh, uh, the new presidents. Uh, let's say, if, if it's Obama, or if it's another president, a Republican, a conservative president, that doesn't have the same view of the presidency as Bush, then uh, I think that maybe all the signing statements will will be is a, a is something that happened during this particular period
1: mm.
0: and uh, may never be really fully litigated. Mm. Uh, it may be that if other presidents start to do it and rely on it, uh, they may uh, the court then would look at it it 's not inconceivable that once Bush has started a pattern of presidents commenting on the laws that someone like obama even someone like obama might might do the same thing i can 't i mean his, his uh, since he 's a constitutional law professor and since he 's already kind of spoken out he doesn 't have the same view of the presidency uh, as Bush did, and he might write a signing statement just giving his view but not expecting that it be the definitive statement of law. So signing statements may become more common, but I don't think anybody will use them, or at least no one in the foreseeable future will use them in the way that Bush used it. In the way that Bush butchered a lot of things, he probably butchered the whole idea that signing statements would, would have this, you know, have a significant effect.
1: We're speaking with Martin Garvis. The book is The Next Twenty Five Years, The New Supreme Court and What It Means for Americans. I want to ask you, you're talking about the next 25 years. I'm going to make a sweeping statement about the last, let's say, 40 years of the court. And that is the last 40 years have been, in my mind, about civil rights, the expansion of rights in this country. That,
0: expansion is it, or, or narrowing? We say the last 40 years. Last, well, mean? I'm
1: talking about going back to the civil rights um, decisions regarding even going back to... Brown versus the Board of Education. Well, I think
0: from Brown against Board of Ed, let's say from 1954 uh, to certainly 1980, until Reagan gets in, mm-hmm. uh, you do have an expansion of rights. Uh, I think, by and large, after that, you you don't have an expansion. You have a start. You, you 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 are starting to cut back on certain rights. Now, there are certain rights that were expanded during the Warren Court. That you would think can't be cut back, and you you would say that hey, those laws are there, and those laws are always going to be there. But we have learned that to be wrong. You mentioned Brown against Board of Education. The the Supreme Court recently uh, struck down a series of laws that were aimed at integrating schools that had become desegregated, because, had become segregated because of economic patterns and And the court in those cases, two years ago, kind of paid homage to Brown and said, "Yes, we want integrated schools." but they said in, in, the, in these particular two cases, even though the the parents in the schools and the schools themselves wanted to bus children so that they could have integrated schools, in other words, suburban uh, parents in in Kentucky and Seattle, they wanted to bus in. Uh, students, so that the schools would be integrated and diverse. The court said you can't do that. The court said that's uh, making decisions based on race. In other words, if you're busing black kids into a white school for diversification, the court said you're making a decision based on race. And the court said the reason that's unconstitutional, of course, in Brown against Board of Education, when they integrated schools, they made a decision based on race because race is the problem they were dealing with. Yeah. So the Supreme Court, in all kinds of subtle ways, a lot of it not, you know, the, the, a lot of people are not aware of, has made very dramatic cutbacks. Basically, Brown against Board of ed. I mean, the, the, the amount of segregation in school now is extraordinarily high. Uh, the, you know, some recent statistics say that it's higher today than it was then, and uh, now it's due for different reasons, economic patterns, et cetera, rather than for the kind of Uh, courthouse fighting that you had in the South. But still, if there was a commitment to integration, then that commitment should carry over and adapt to new problems and new issues. Uh, And it hasn't. So the Supreme Court has, in all kinds of ways, basically had the Warren Court, then the Warren Court, after Warren uh, left it, still had a majority of the Warren Court members, even while Berger came on, so for the first few years of the Burger Court, it was still the Warren Court in that those guys, Justice Brennan and others, still dominated. And then at the end of the Burger Court, and when Rehnquist comes in during the Reagan administration, then the court has made a full transition. So you've really had a very conservative court now for about the last 30 years, mm-hmm. and there has never been a time in American history when you've had such a group of justices sitting as long as they have collectively it's the it's it's the most uh, rigid uh, uh, court and that's because of what you said before namely that they appoint younger people mm-hmm. and since they appoint younger people they just sit longer mm-hmm. and you're gonna see Roberts, Alito, Thomas for a very very long time Scalia uh, not as young as they but he'll sit, he'll sit for 15 more years 20 more years so you have that hardcore of four people who are going to be there, who are not going to step down absent something extraordinary. And Kennedy, you know, the whole argument that well he makes liberal decisions here and liberal decisions there, and he's really a swing voter. He's not. He's not nearly as liberal as O'Connor was, who was not, who also was a conservative when she came to the court and remained a conservative. What's happened is the language that we use to define these people has just changed. And So people can say that Kennedy is now in the center of the court. He, he's you know, neither a conservative nor a liberal. It's not true. It, 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 he's still a conservative. And the fact that he will vote against some of the most egregious things of the Bush administration, like the, you know, how, you set up jury, how you set up the criminal system in Guantanamo, I mean, that, that, those cases were no-brainers. So, for someone like him to come in, or for someone to say that Kennedys liberal because he struck down some of these awful Guantanamo laws, is is uh, is wrong. Well,
1: the 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 uh, the standard has really shifted, hasn't it? Yes. <laughs> Since nineteen eighty, I, I, yes. I guess it sounds like you're describing um, the expansion of rights that that era. What I would call a, a uh, the golden era of the of the modern Supreme Court. Uh, the, sort of the death by a thousand cuts now with the last thirty years of this of this particular, uh, the Rehnquist court.
0: I agree with you totally.
1: Yeah. Well, let's. what's the next 25 years? Uh, we're, we're heading into uh, a, a, a century of, uh, of weapons of mass destruction, terrorism, rights of privacy, all kinds of issues are coming up. How, how do you see the next 25 years? Well, I
0: think you'll see the expansion of the government uh, with res- and the diminution of, of civil liberties so i think that's one area i think that the uh... cowardly way that uh... democrats even obama dealt with this last issue of are the telephone companies are the media companies responsible for cooperating with the government with respect to the patriot act and inter- uh, and surveillance and wiretapping et cetera et cetera and allowing the telephone companies and those who collaborated with the government to get off scot-free I think is something that's of great significance. I think that's going to continue. I think what you're going to see, as we talk about the environment, you're going to see the uh, the, the Supreme Court striking down regulations that come out of uh, EPA and and, and and places like that. You're going to see the you know, the whole debate, the political debate, goes very much uh, on regulation, deregulation. We've seen it. Uh, Because of the economy, but you also have regulation, deregulation issues. When you get to the environment, what can the EPA do uh, with respect to corporations, with respect to cars, etc.? Now, in the last few days of the, there have been a number of articles about it already. the The Bush administration has been passing a number of laws gutting the powers of the various regulatory agencies, EPA, the SEC, um, and uh... The, those laws are going to come up and my f- feeling is that the supreme court will uphold what the bush administration has done namely the narrowing of the ability of the federal government to regulate uh... the only time they'll expand the federal government is in the area of security uh... so i think that uh... the, the laws that are being passed these last few months will be the cases that are argued in the next five years six years and I think they'll all wind up with a conservative twist.
1: So, so the uh, the executive branch serves up the softballs, and the and the uh, and the Supreme Court uh, knocks them out. Right. Uh, it's, that a good, we're...
0: it's a good image.
1: Um. And it's a good image. yeah. And uh, wow. The the other part of this is, um, um, for me, is uh, that you know, i just lost my train of thought. I'm so sorry. Is there is there an area?
0: Or are is, you thinking about the election? Yeah, yeah, I guess I'm focused
1: on the election. No, it's just it, this it is so disconcerting. Have because, you voted right?
0: this morning, Martin? <laughs> I see. Yes, I voted. I okay. voted. I, what yeah. were the lines like there? Are you... uh, I got in very early. Oh, there were no lines. No, really? Okay, yeah. I'm just, yeah. just kind of curious. It's, it was. Uh, we live in a little small comor- uh, suburban community here, and it uh-huh. was it was tremendous. I've never seen that many cars parked on the street, and I, right? I hope they're uh-huh. going the good way. I see. Yeah. It's a small community it, it, meaning Berkeley. Yeah. No, 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 no,
1: we're 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 on the university, but we're in it. We're, we're in Orange County, California. I, yeah. So uh, I, I oh, see well, you're dev,
0: in, in in Devil's Land. <laughs> we are Devil's Land,
1: but you'd be amazed at the support uh, that the Democrats are getting here this time around. Okay. We are yeah. seeing uh, in uh, in a definitely in a in a county that has been solidly red, if you will, for such a long time. We're seeing a lot of uh, very frightened Republican uh, congressional candidates running around. So. <laughs> Uh, but uh, how, do, how do you see? Uh, we've talked about the Constitution in general. How do you see the Bill of Rights? I mean, we, I guess, I guess, where I was going with the last question was um, the the government increasingly The government can know everything possible about us. This right. kind of sneak and, peek, and We know
0: nothing about that. And them. yet,
1: we know we increasingly know little, less and less about the government. Is eight years of a democratic rule under Barack Obama going to be able to begin to move that? Needle back in the other direction
0: well, I guess if he has uh, enormous support from the, if it's uh, the Congress, but also the Democrats have not shown themselves to be you know on the, on issues of civil liberties and national security, they have been so badly burned they feel by being weak on civil liberties, weak on national uh, weak on national security, too proactive on civil liberties, uh, that's an issue that they run away from mm-hmm. and in the last year, when there were many chances to stop the Bush administration in passing laws, et etc., whether it be the Patriot Act or other things, the Democrats pretty much uh, went along with it. I think that's, that's, that's going to be part of the Democratic costume or, or part of the Democratic lineage for a very long time. So, and I think that Pelosi and people like that run away from that. And I think they want to prove that they're hard and they're tough. And I think Obama did that a few times. Mm-hmm. Uh I think if you look at obama 's books, what you recognize is that putting all and this is not a, an anti Obama speech what you realize is that in many many areas of the law at least, I would call him conservative mm-hmm. uh that he's for the de- he's not against the death penalty yeah. Yeah. Uh, He has not been critical of a lot of the recent Supreme Court decisions that have come down uh people who have taken his classes. Uh, talk about his balance, his reasoning, et cetera, et cetera. But he, the, the same kind of passion that he brings to the executive branch and legislative branch, he seems not to expect of the judicial branch. Yeah. As a lawyer, and many lawyers do that, they, they elevate the judicial branch to a very, very different place.
1: Well, it is it is the uh, the final arbiter uh, uh, and we hope that uh, I hope my hope is is that this is what I think about Barack I don't agree with everything uh, just as you have identified the issues that that I'm Mm. I'm I'm wondering about with him but my sense is that he's a bright intelligent person who will surround himself with bright intelligent people he's not afraid of intellect and he will come to the right decisions because I think he's a fair-minded person
0: but how many wars will he fight? I,
1: I No, I worry that yeah. he has to prove himself. Every, unfortunately, every president feels the need to prove themselves, their manhood, every time uh, a, a new crisis arises. And I can, I'm concerned about that. I'm concerned about his position on Afghanistan. There's a lot of things right. that, that concern me. But I'm hoping that as an intelligent man who has surrounded himself with intelligent people, that, that some wisdom will, will come through in his decisions. And let's hope.
0: Uh, I agree with you. I mean, I I hope with you.
1: Yes. Well, Martin Garvis, I'm going to, once again, the book is The Next 25 Years, The New Supreme Court and What It Means for Americans. What it means for Americans is get out and vote, and please uh, um, do that today. Uh, Thank you, Martin Garvis, for being here on Weekly Signals.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. To learn more about Weekly Signals interviews, including upcoming guests, or to download the podcast, visit our website at weeklysignals.com. And be sure to visit nathancallahan.com for daily readings and feature articles. Until next week,
1: I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Caspar, and this
0: is Weekly Signals.